We continue on this morning with the uh, series that I began last week, looking at some of the metaphors in Scripture that describe the church. Last week we began this series considering the church as the family of God. And today we're going to consider the church as the body of Christ. Now almost everyone here is familiar with the biblical character Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. He traveled with him making that journey to the land of promise, if you will. He had a a wonderful experience in that way, and yet at the same time, I think you'd agree with me, if you're familiar with his character, that Lot was a pretty tragic character too, wasn't he? It's interesting, in Scripture he's described as a righteous man, and he was a righteous man in that he trusted in the Savior that God promised to send. And yet at the same time, he's tragic because I I think that even though he was a believer, he he was a man who was very frustrated and very unhappy with his life. I believe that's because Lot made a mistake that is common to so many believers. He lost a a needed perspective, if you will, will, of his individuality and of his relationship to other believers. He willingly cut himself off from other believers. I think likely he was convinced that he didn't need them. He chose to live apart from them, chose instead to live in the world while yet trying not to be of the world. And he didn't do a real good job of that. And in so doing, he cut himself off from the fellowship and the spiritual encouragement of other believers. And I think he also denied himself the opportunity of looking out from himself in order to recognize and minister to the needs of others. In short, he ruined his spiritual health and he definitely ruined the rest of his family, didn't he? Again, what a tragic character. In 2 Peter 2.7, he is called a righteous man. But he made some serious mistakes. He had a serious attitude problem, I believe. Now, don't get me wrong. God made each of us unique. And he does recognize our individuality. He does. But God also describes the church as a body. As a body made up of all sorts of individual members of which every single believer, not some, not most, but every single believer is a part. And he never contradicts himself in this. He recognizes us as individuals, but he calls us together to be a body, to be a functioning entity where we learn from, where we benefit from, where we're challenged by others in this body. And it is through this body then as we relate to Jesus, who is the head, and accomplish that which he desires for us to do. It's his plan that, and and his will that individuals he has saved should see themselves as a vital part of something much larger than any individual. And as individual believers, he wills then that we would commit ourselves personally to the function of this body, which is the church, that we would learn 
and, and continue to practice caring for, ministering to, challenging, and building up other individual believers in the faith. Listen to these words from Romans 12, 4 and 5. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I believe that individualism really is the curse of the church, and it's the ruin of the individual. That may seem pretty radical, but I don't think it is. There's a distorted view of freedom which is commonly promoted and it has infiltrated the church not to its benefit, not to its good. Because this distorted notion of freedom forgets or or, or plays down, if you will, the the idea of relationship, of, of community, of belonging one to another and functioning not for self, but for the sake of the body. It forgets or ignores the idea of responsibility to each other. And it forgets or denies the need to respect others, their rights, and also their contributions to the function of this which is known as the body of Christ. What is, I think, all too commonly promoted in our day for freedom is really what I call selfishness without guilt. Let me give you an example. Robert Ringer, in his book, Looking Out for Number One, writes, and I quote, Our primary objective is really to be as happy as possible, and all other objectives, great and small, are only means to that end. Really? I mean, stop and think about the implications of such selfishness. There's nothing Christian about selfishness, about self-centeredness, about looking out for number one and not worrying who's number two or number three. In fact, if we understand humility as it's to be practiced in the Bible, I'm not number one, you are. I'm number two or three or four. doesn't mean I don't matter. But it does mean that I recognize my need to function within this body as one of the members and to do so for your sake. I talked about consumer Christianity last week and I said it really has no place. I'll go further. I think the phrase community or uh, consumer Christianity is a contradiction in terms. If you approach church from the idea that it's there for what you can get and it doesn't involve any responsibility as to what you can give, it isn't Christian. It isn't Christian. An oil magnate's will stipulated that he be buried upright behind the steering wheel of his gold-plated Rolls-Royce. In fulfillment of his wishes, an immense hole was dug in the, in the ground with the help of large earth-moving equipment. Finally, as the crane lowered that unusual coffin into the ground, a workman was overheard to say, man, that's really living. Really? 
The guy's dead. I don't know how long that gold Rolls Royce is going to last underground, but I know this, in a few years, he's not going to be sitting on any cloth or leather covered cushions. It's going to deteriorate. And he is not going to be able to do anything about it. Is selfishness really worth the cost? Ask yourself that today. And be honest before the Lord. Is selfishness really worth the cost? People experience a terrible loneliness when they only look out for themselves, when they don't recognize their need to belong and to function in the body as one of the members. Terrible loneliness. They may not even understand what it is, but they experience it nonetheless. It's, it's, I guess, the price you pay for being an individual. But a rose by any other name is still a pumpkin, right? No, it's loneliness. It's loneliness. In fact, that loneliness would, would lead to what I would call an oppressive alienation. And it may express itself in anger and in a fierce independence that shows no respect for others. But it's alienation nonetheless. No intimacy, no meaningful relationships. In an effort to find themselves, people actually destroy any such chance at belonging. All they find is that terrible, tragic loneliness. And I believe that too many, even Christians, live their lives in a quiet despair. I grew up in the 60s, and I remember a song. I looked this up. It it hit number three in the top 20. It's called, I Am a Rock. Remember it? Those of you old enough? Yep, I'm seeing some heads go up. You realize how old you are now? And, and to be fair, when Simon and Garfunkel sang this song, they weren't promoting the kind of individuality here. They were lamenting it. They were trying to challenge it in their society. I have built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I'm an island. Don't talk of love. I've heard the word before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I'm a rock. I'm an island. And it ends with these words. And a rock feels no pain. And an island never cries. You want to bet? One of the primary truths that God wants us to realize when he likens the church to a body is that no man is a rock. No man is an island. As individuals, we are to relate to others in vital, meaningful ways. We cannot be happy. We cannot be fulfilled as Christians until we accept our place, humble ourselves before the Lord, and learn to caring or learn to care 
and to practice our roles in the body of Christ. Relationships really are at the heart of the church. For so many, love is a missing ingredient. Yet Jesus commands this love of us. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. That's agape love, godly love. Love that takes the time to get to know another, to know their strengths, their weaknesses, and seeks to minister to their needs. It's a love which is sacrificial in nature, which will put others before ourselves. And if we all practice it, if we all practice it, I'll care for your needs, and you'll care for mine. And we'll build each other up. And the body will function as God desires it to function. Can you imagine what it would be like if we as a body used our membership, if you will, for the sake of each other? If we would challenge each other as it needs to be, but to speak the truth in love, and if we would submit to one another so that we might care for them, they might care for us. Paul in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16, as we relate to one another, he says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, who is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does its part. Do you notice who the head is? It's Jesus. He is our head. I'm not the head. You're not the head. Sometimes we'd like to be, but we're not. He is the head. And if we're connected to him, then we'll be able to find our place and our function. And we'll be able to help the body grow. I wonder, there are... I wonder how many reasons, and I'll really, let's call them what they are, how many excuses there are for not getting or remaining involved with a congregation. I suppose the first might be selfishness. We're focused on ourselves. And the fact of the matter is that we we don't want to necessarily be of the world, but we like being in the world. And maybe a little bit of the world, while at the same time trying to belong to the Lord, and it doesn't work. It never works. When you're selfish, you want to be served rather than to serve others. Or maybe there's repulsion in the, in the sense of, of having a kind of a superiority, superiority complex of really deep down considering yourself as better than other people. After all, they blow it and I don't. Some of us can really get that arrogant. (laughs) And they don't want to cooperate with others. In fact, they're, they're even willing to say they don't want certain people to even be in the church. You know, I've told others, and I'll tell you right now, if you're looking for the perfect church, you won't be happy here. 
If in your quest to find the perfect church, if you ever do, don't join it. You'll ruin it. I'm not trying to be funny. It's true. Every single one of us is a sinner. Oh, I may have areas of weakness that you don't, but that doesn't make you or me better than the other. We're all sinners. We're all saved by grace. We're all graciously brought in to the family of God, as I talked about it last week, and to the body of Christ, as I'm talking about this week. We have a place. We have functions. We have opportunities for service. I'm going to go further than that. We have a privilege of belonging and of caring for each other. Do you see that as a privilege to belong here? And do you realize that if you submit and as you speak the truth in love, when when there needs to be correction, or, or when you give of yourself willingly without even having to be asked first? Do you realize how the body is benefited? And can you appreciate that? Some people may may just feel like they're not accepted. And, And you know, rejection hurts. Some people have had bad experiences with certain Christians, certain unthinking, uncharitable members. They've been wronged and they're owed apologies. And until they get them, they'll withdraw or draw back. But that isn't the way to do it. Love, as I talked about last week, will move us toward each other. Let me say it again. Love will move us toward each other. Love will seek to draw us together. And in that love, to function as Jesus would have us function. Being obedient to the head and seeking to honor him. Some feel like they don't belong because they don't measure up to others. But let me tell you something, my friend. If that's you today, God made you. And he doesn't make mistakes. He made you. And he has a place for you. And he has a plan to use you. But you cannot discover it if you sit on the outside of the body of Christ. Let's let's consider then the body concept of Christ. So in Christ, Paul says in Romans 12.5, In Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Do you believe that? Do you? Do you live it? Do you? You don't have to answer me, but you do have to answer him. Paul uses the word body more than 30 times in his epistles to illustrate a functioning church. And no individual can function normally or effectively by himself or herself. We are individuals, 
But we are never to practice a selfish individualism. Let me read this extensive passage from 1 Corinthians 12 as we consider again the body concept of the church. He says, The body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Or if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, There are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are presentable, they need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, Every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those who are able to help others, those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues, are all apostles Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No. But together, we function together as a healthy body. Note something else important about our spiritual gift. In giving us individual gifts, he honors our individuality. But God desires for us as individuals to recognize and appreciate those gifts as being for the common good, not for our glory, not to make a name for ourselves, not to draw attention to us, but to be used for the benefit of others. The church is full of individuals but there is no room for selfish individuality. And it is to be as natural for us to do this as it is for the individual organs to function for the safety and well-being of the rest of the entire physical body. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. You get a speck of dust in your eyes. Does your hand have to be helped or told to try and help your eye? Don't your fingers start digging without being told? Certainly. Or or you hear a strange sound to your right. Now, what happens? The neck turns, right? 
the eyes begin to try and discern what the ear heard. And if danger is present or perceived, then the brain is going to tell the legs to carry that entire body to safely as quickly as possible in the other direction. And it happens in the twinkling of an eye. Does it not? It's an automatic. And for us in the body, God granted it would become automatic for us. That I don't have to be told to care for you. And you don't have to be told to care for others. Accept one another then, Paul says in Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then as just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. No one member is more important than another. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, then let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, Let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, then let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Each member should work at achieving unity in the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4, verse 3, we read, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And this doesn't refer to areas of of doctrine here. There's no compromise in biblical truth. But there is more than just an outward unity. We need to be united in spirit. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, this goal should continuously be before us. May we never be satisfied to settle for anything less than what God wants for us. He desires a spirit of unity in this congregation because we are his body in this place. We are connected to him who is the head and he would lead us and direct us and even use us for the sake of each other. What a worthy thing and what a worthy goal for each and every one of us. My prayer is that each believer here today might realize these truths, might recognize that we are part of the body of Christ a necessary part, whatever our part is, and that the body of Christ cannot and will not function properly if we as individual Christians don't function properly in that body. And we'll never realize personal fulfillment if the church doesn't fulfill its mission. 
May we who comprise the body of Christ, by our lives, by our witness, bring glory to him who is the head. I'm going to close again today with the prayer that I mentioned was a prayer by Bobby Richardson at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And may this be a prayer answered in our minds. Let's pray. Dear Lord, your will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else.